All right, welcome back, everybody. This is episode 10. It's August 7th, 2020, and we have uh, Kyle uh, Wasserberger on with us this, this afternoon, evening. Kyle, thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate uh, taking you taking your time. We're excited to chat about some of the work that you've been doing at Auburn University in uh, baseball, biomechanics, and sports science. So thanks for joining us today. No problem, Jason. Happy to be here. So, Kyle, if you wouldn't mind uh, just giving a little, you know, introduction on yourself and what you've been doing these past couple of years and what you're doing currently uh, at Auburn. I'm sure uh, we've crossed paths a bunch on Twitter and, and baseball Twitter is a pretty small field. But for those who aren't directly within our little bubble of baseball Twitter, can you just give a little intro about some of the stuff you're doing? Yeah, uh, I am originally from Spring Lake, Michigan. Uh, go Lakers. <laughs> Did my undergrad at a at a small institution in West Michigan, Calvin University, where I majored in kinesiology and was a four-year varsity baseball player. Um, after undergrad, I got my CSCS, uh, took a gap year, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, in that gap year, I was the pitching coach for Calvin, uh, also was a strength and conditioning coach at a local gym, working mainly with hockey players. Oh, yeah, uh, nice. yeah, yep. got to got to get the hockey in there as well. Also weighted tables, if that's relevant. <laughs> <laughs> um, but basically, the gap year kind of forced me to realize that I did want to go back to school. I wasn't done yet, um, but I still didn't really know what I wanted to do with grad programs. Uh, I knew I liked sports. I was always decent at math and physics. Uh, and so I kind of started, I had one biomechanics course in undergrad as well. And so I kind of started looking at biomechanics programs, uh, found Auburn where I'm at now, uh, came down here in August of 2017 to work with Dr. Gretchen Oliver, doing a lot of youth baseball, youth softball, uh, biomechanics research, got my master's. Uh, they, I guess they must've liked me cause they offered me, me to be able to roll into my PhD. So I, uh, did that as well, what, which I'm still doing. Uh, just finished my second year. I'm um, going to start my third year hopefully dissertation soon, COVID willing. <laughs> yeah, um, right. yeah. So that's kind of what I do. I'm currently working on a lot of uh, the energetics of the baseball pitch is kind of my super narrow focus at the moment. We can get more into that later, of course, uh, but also look at hitting um, also look at softball pitching as well. That's that's pretty neat. We we just had a, a recent guest on uh, from Old Dominion, uh, Alex O'Hare, who was a golfer too. And you're the second person now, second PhD student who's played collegiately and now does research in the same sport that they played. And I think we we talked about that a few episodes ago. But I think that's really important in terms of like the sports sciencey kind of things is to have knowledge of the sport you're actually studying. And being yep. a baseball player yourself, I think actually just allows you, I think, to create better research questions? Would that be not too far off? Yeah, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think uh, being able to kind of marry those two areas of, you know, knowing the biomechanics, knowing not only the uses, but probably more importantly, the limitations of biomechanics, right. but then also knowing how to take these, you know, stupidly big time series of data that we get and yep. distilling that for the pitching coach, distilling that for the pitchers, the players, the, you know, whoever that you need to talk to that doesn't know any matrix algebra or vector yep. algebra, you know, 
And so that's kind of what I hope to be able to do is, you know, I might not be the best, you know, biomechanist in the world, and I'm certainly not the best baseball player to ever play. (laughs) But if I could be, you know, 70% of both, hopefully I can talk to both sides of the equation, right? Yeah, I think honestly, that's the trend right now is is like the the wearing multiple hats kind of person. I think that's what the field is kind of transitioning to because we've talked about this too in previous episodes. Like you're not going to be able to have as an organization, a biomechanist, a physiologist, a neuropsych, you know what I mean? Like it, you got to wear multiple hats and that's important. And you having that experience, I think will will pay off for sure. But Kyle, let's jump into uh, the article that you shared. One of the things that we do for uh, each of our, our guests, we asked them to share an article that's been influential to their, their current PhD studies. And Kyle shared with us uh, an article from the early 80s, one of the older articles we re- reviewed for the podcast so far, and it's entitled Mechanical Energy Generation, Absorption, and Transfer Among Segments During Walking. So Kyle, if you can just give us a little bit more of a background as to you know what this article was discussing and sort of how it applies to the research that you're doing currently. Yeah. Uh, so like with most things in biomechanics, it kind of starts with David Winter and Gate, right? Right. Um, <laughs> so article from long time ago, but I, I picked this article for a couple main reasons. One is that I'm hoping my dissertation will focus on the energetics of the throwing motion, kind of like I mentioned earlier. Um, but two, for this article and specifically, I think it's really well written and I think it does a particularly good job at outlining the, the methodology behind not only looking at, uh, mechanical energy exchange between segments, but also going one step further into, well, what part of that energy is being generated at the joint? What part of that energy is just being transferred through the joint and, uh, what, uh, what percentage of that energy is actually being absorbed by the tissues surrounding the joint. And um, I think uh, being able to kind of parse it into generation absorption and transfer really might help us uh, gain a, a bit of a deeper understanding into kind of the, the stresses placed on particularly the shoulder and elbow during, during the pitch. So, so leading, so, Leading into my next question about that, so how would this article in terms of the generation absorption and transfer, how would that translate into a sport of baseball? I'd love to hear your, your thoughts. And I think some people who are on the baseball side of things that are, will be listening to this as well would like to hear your thoughts. How would this paper sort of translate? Because baseball is such an energy transfer absorption type of sport, but I want to I want to hear your thoughts on it. Right. Um, so you read any baseball study, uh, that's published in a peer-reviewed journal, and they all pretty much start the same way, right? It's something along the lines of the baseball pitch is a uh, complicated sport task that demands, you know, full coordination amongst all body segments and places large loads on the upper extremity or something. You didn't say kinetic chain in there. I'm surprised. Yeah, you didn't yeah. Say that. <laughs> throw that in there as well. Um, you know, kind of the the standard catch-all first se- first sentence of those papers, but. Um, how we relate the methodology of the article that I sent is uh, the math is the same, right? The, the actual um, calculating via inverse dynamics, uh, it just instead of starting at the foot, we're starting at the hand. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but regard, in, with respect to most baseball studies, we, we always talk about the kinetic chain and the transfer of energy 
and then the studies measure not energy, mm-hmm. right? They, they measure these surrogate endpoints, which are great places to start. I don't want this to come across as me bashing on previous studies, but uh, they're measuring these surrogate endpoints for the transfer of energy through the kinetic chain, whether right. that's you know peak segmental angular velocities or the timing of those angular velocities, right? Uh, we see that a lot, and that's a great place to start, but it's not the transfer of mechanical energy through the kinetic chain. And so I think if we can adapt this methodology from the 1980s, <laughs> that uh, maybe uh, looking at the energy can kind of complement the analyses that we've already done in the baseball literature. It, it's, you, you know, we laugh about like some of these older studies, but these studies set the groundwork, you know, because yep. they didn't have bicon motion capture they didn't have visual 3d that would just spit this out for us automatically like they were hand calculating these sorts of variables and like this early work is really important to to review as biomechanics in any sort of field too related to human movement science because that's the groundwork for what we do now and we just do it with with a click of our mouse and stuff whereas they were having to write out the hand calculations and one of the one of just touching more on this article in particular kyle is one of the things that they talk about is like the work energy theorem and so for somebody who, you know, isn't a PhD trained biomechanist or isn't in a biomechanics program, can you sort of explain what that concept is and how that relates to like a sport like baseball or just any sort of sport in general? Yeah, kind of it, how we move, period, right? Um, so the work energy theorem in its simplest just states that the net work done on an object over a period of time is equal to the object's change in kinetic energy, right? And there's that that trigger phrase kinetic energy again. Um, When we're talking about human movement, uh, the only way we can move is if we perform work, right? Uh, Whether that's internal work on our own body segments, like if I just sit here and I lift my arm off the desk, I'm performing internal work on my arm. Or uh, more often when we're talking about sporting tasks, it's how we perform external work on the ground or Mm -hmm. some other surface, right? so the, the work energy theorem is just how we move. It governs how we move. You know, it, it's the Newtonian mechanics, one of the laws, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to hop in there for a little bit? I think you yeah. have questions for Kyle as well. Yeah, no, that, was a, that was a great explanation of, of the work energy theorem. So Harjeev, so Harjeev's a motor learning person by <laughs> trade. So when Kyle and I start talking a little bit more like mechanical energy and physics and stuff like that <laughs> i think our juice had just a little spinning yeah that's okay though because he needs to learn this stuff but the it's, biomechanics and motor learning stuff are, are my important. head spins with <laughs> motor control all the time so you know, I know it's interesting because i i could just start imagining like you know what are ways that you know just coaches in general can uh impact such uh you know results that we're getting like in terms of you know, the work energy theorem is one thing, but then just general biomechanics, right? We know that the input affects the output. How, how, you know, how does that happen? Um, so, yeah, you're right. When you guys start talking about the mechanical aspect of it, it kind of goes in, in one year out the other, but it's really interesting. Um, it's in- I think it's important too. There's kind of a push in like baseball and other sort of sports too, with like coaches being able to leverage technology now. Yeah. For player development, like these coaches, you, know, you might not have a biomechanics background, but with like the support of somebody like Kyle, 
who does this work now, you can start leveraging wearable technology or force platforms and motion capture to actually be helpful for your athletes. You don't have to be a PhD trained individual, but you can reach out to the people who can help your athletes. Right. So I think this is important stuff to just discuss in terms of baseball and just human movement in general. You know, I agree. And, you know, so while reading the article, um, came up with a couple questions and this one related to uh, causes of segmental energy changes, um, especially in walking. Cause that's, I think that's what uh, the article really focused on. Can you give our listeners just an overview on how segments are supplied with energy and how this is uh, affected with an increase in speed, for example? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, the one word answer would be muscles, right? <laughs> there, if we, if we didn't have any muscles, if we were just a pile of bones, then we wouldn't move at all. Um, sure. uh, but as the listeners who have had a physiology course probably know, our muscles convert chemical energy into mechanical energy when they take that phosphate group off of the ATP, right? Yeah. But we're not usually talking about that when we talk in biomechanics, we're usually just concerned with how our muscles create uh, uh, kinetic and potential energy, right? And kinetic and potential energy together, we're talking about mechanical energy. But uh, so in gait, for just to do an example, right? When I, uh, if we're talking about my back foot at push off, uh, my ankle plantar flexors uh, perform work through plantar flexion and supply and transfer energy from my foot to my shank. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, simultaneously my hip flexors are also doing that, uh, transferring energy from, uh, the pelvis to the thigh. Right. And then once we're in swing, we're in open chain and, uh, we convert, especially in walking, we convert potential energy into kinetic energy. That's another way that segments can gain energy. They can create or they can convert their own potential energy into kinetic energy. That's what happens during swing. Um, and then once we, once we're kind of in late swing, uh, the knee flexors actually contract eccentrically and absorb kinetic energy from the shank as it comes out in front of the body's center of mass before foot placement. Right. And so, the segments, it's this beautiful dance of converting potential energy to kinetic energy back to potential energy, but then you're also tossing in actual kinetic energy generation and absorption when needed from the muscles. And so it, it's just fascinating, even in a, what, we, what we might consider a very simple task like gait, let alone yeah. a dynamic sporting movement like the baseball pitch, right? Yeah, I was, just about to, I was just about to say, like, I don't think people fully appreciate, like, how we walk, like from biomechanists, oh. like Kyle and I, it's like, okay, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we understand it is so complex. Like the, just the way that we're able just to move as a, as a human and how we're able to do these tasks, like throw a baseball is incredible from yeah. just like a mathematical physics kind of standpoint, how we're able to coordinate everything at just the precise time that it needs to be to perform this task. And Kyle, you did a really good job of, of explaining that to the, the listeners that gate is just, from our standpoint, it's a fascinating thing. It's just a really fascinating way that yeah. we're able to accomplish that. And, and you, you look at the energetics research, not, so this is going to be confusing, but like there's this kind of energy, but then there's also kind of the physiology efficiency type of energetics right, right. research. 
And you look at that branch of research and they're like, wow, walking costs way less energy than it should. <laughs> right. If, if we were just, if we were only generating energy, right. And it's because we get to transfer energy amongst segments and it, it, it's just fast. It's fascinating. It is. It is great. And thanks for that explanation, Kyle. I think yeah, I really really appreciate it. Yeah. Kind of switching gears just a little bit and getting back more into baseball, since this is like, you know, your main area of research and your experiences. How can a coach utilize, you know, principles of work, power, energy, and like their relationships uh, together to like influence performance and injury risk in their athletes? Like, what are some considerations for them? Yeah, great question. That that's the the million dollar question, right? Is how can we transfer or how can we translate this to coaches and athletes? And uh the simple answer is we're not really sure yet, right? Um people are kind of scared to say that, but I'll say it anyways. Um we 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 can use we're we're pretty confident in a strength and conditioning type setting of how we can kind of track changes in power production. Right. You know, within, within an athlete, you know, you, you talked about using force plates earlier. Um, but in terms of getting someone hooked up in a biomechanics lab, uh, recording their, their pitching motion, getting the work and the power uh, for that individual pitcher, we're really in the beginning stages of this kind of line of research, right? Uh, there's only a handful of papers out there, uh, mainly looking at just kind of either just a descriptive level or maybe just a very simple kind of either correlational or simple regression type analysis to velocity or to uh, more traditional measures of joint loading like elbow valgus and shoulder rotation, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Probably the closest we've come is the induced power analysis done by Dr. Uh, Anguinaldo out there at Point Loma, um, where he showed that, you know, the importance of trunk rotation uh, and the timing of trunk rotation and the uh, and the peak power of trunk rotation for producing ball speed and elbow valgus torque. But in terms of being able to get a pitcher in a lab and come to some concrete conclusions, we don't have the normative standards that we do with kind of more traditional biomechanics mm-hmm. measures that were put out by, you know, Dr. Fleissig and all of them way back when. Uh, without normative standards, I can't get someone in a lab, get their numbers and see where they fit relative to their peers or right. relative to elite athletes, right? And so as much as it kind of stinks to say is that we're not really sure yet. Um, and it just takes individuals like yourself to do that ground level work and then exactly. start collecting, you know, longitudinal type of data, right? And just exactly over time yeah but I, I i will say i do think kind of the lower hanging fruit is going to be that within pitcher analysis mm-hmm. right which is kind of at odds with most traditional biomechanics studies we look at uh, between individuals averages across groups right whatever it may be i think especially if you're going to try and translate it to a uh, clinician or to a coach differences in Billy from preseason to midseason, even if they don't really understand the math behind the energy measures, right. they can un- they can wrap their head around differences between pre and postseason or differences. You know, they they were throwing really well in preseason. Now they're kind of getting lit up. What's changed? Mm-hmm. They can wrap their head around that a lot easier from just a research methodology standpoint, I think, than 
just taking these group averages, although they are important, right? We do need those normative measures. Right. So, kind of putting you on the spot just a little bit, but I know you say we don't have a lot of concrete data on this. What would you say are potentially some key variables in terms of all this, in terms of the segmental energies and things? Just speculate. Yeah. Speculate. Yeah. So yeah. we we've got the the paper from Howenstein, Jacob Howenstein, and and then they showed the strongest correlation to pitch speed was uh, the energy transferred out of the trunk and into the humerus, right? Okay. And, and, and I think he looked at it, forgive me, Jacob, if you happen to listen to this. <laughs> uh, I think that was just from foot contact to ball release, right? Okay. And so more energy transferred to the sh- through the shoulder equals more pitch speed, right? Which kind of makes sense. Right. Um, so without really, you know, having a whole full body of literature, I would first look at, well, how much is my pitcher transferring out of the shoulder? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the peak rate at which they transfer energy out of the shoulder, right? Um, but also if we want to look at the kinetic chain, right, which we always want to look at, it's does, uh, for example, front leg to pelvis transfer during arm cocking affect shoulder transfer during arm acceleration or something like that. And so I think really getting into the nitty gritty of these energetic energetic measures could allow us to really get into the kinetic chain, right? If we can, um, let's take, for example, kind of the first link that everyone talks about is that front knee, right? Mm -hmm. If, if my front knee leaks or continues to flex, everyone says that that is leaking energy and you're not going to transfer as much energy to your uh, thigh, to your pelvis, to your torso, to your arm. Right. Right. So let's look at that. Does the amount of energy transferred from my plant leg shank to my plant leg thigh between foot contact and ball release relate at all? Right. And then we can do that driven by the uh, driven by theory brought to us by pitching coaches and by people who have speculated about this kinetic chain for decades. We can say, all right, well, let's go up to the hips. Let's go up to the pelvis thorax junction. Let's go to the thorax humerus junction. Then let's look at the elbow and then finally the wrist. Right. Um, did that answer your question at all? <laughs> sounds like you got a lot of, it sounds like, no, that was great. No, it was a really good explanation of it. It's, Sorry. it's difficult sometimes when you don't really have a lot of data to work with. It's yeah. kind of the same thing with like my concussion and like musculoskeletal injury stuff. Like people ask like, like, what, why do you think that's the link? I'm like, you know what? We don't really know right now. We just don't have enough data to really say it. So that was great. And uh, yeah, it sounds like you got your work cut out for you, but I know the, I know baseball Twitter and the rest of us who have been part of baseball past and present will be, will be interested to see what you find. You know, it's interesting because I feel like we, we always look at, and this is with volleyball too. I come from volleyball background is we'll look at like, we'll look at like a proximal to distal sort of perspective on, on, on motor behavior. And like, I've always been curious coming from a motor learning background, how, uh, you know, just if you just look at motor control, for example, how um, whether it's instruction or feedback or whatever you do with the athlete drill, whatever it may be, how that affects um, this this aspect of you know uh, going down a proximal distal sort of perspective. Or if I tell someone to fix their you know uh, 
let's see, their their elbow is too high, right? Does that affect how maybe energy is distributed throughout all the joint segments, for example? You know, and that's super interesting because we don't really, I don't know if studies have been done, but it's more motor control stuff. Um, it's, and then across expertise, it's, it's, you know, we know novices are a little more rigid than, than experts. How does that affect? It's just super interesting. Right. And I think what, what you're doing is, is fantastic. I think there's a lot to kind of dig down deep and it's definitely something that's going to help coaches, uh, and, uh, and other students like yourself uh, in, in the future. What I want to ask is um, what current what current or future research studies are going on in your well, Right now, obviously, we don't have much, but uh, <laughs> what uh, what studies are going on in your lab and uh, what research interests, you know, do you have knowing that, knowing that you're going into your sort of, <clears throat> you know, dissertation time, I'm assuming now. So, um, yeah, if you can hit on that, that'd be great. Yeah, totally. Um, so, I mean, we've been talking about kind of my focus all episode, but there are several other really awesome doc students in our lab. Uh, we're also looking at uh, softball pitching. Uh, we've got a softball pitching dissertation going on right now where uh, she's uh, Kenzie is looking at uh, kind of body composition. And so she's taking, she's actually getting girls in the DEXA and so instead of uh, just taking height and weight, we're actually going to be, we're, we're going to be looking at, you know, fat free mass, uh, limb circumference, all, all those kind of more uh, personalized anthropometric measures. Um, we've got the energy flow stuff uh, that me and some other people are kind of working on. Uh, another doc student, Nicole is doing uh, hitting energy flow as well. So kind of looking at, uh, lower extremity pelvis trunk into the arms for, for hitting kind of what, what the describing what's going on there. Cause again, mm -hmm. we don't, we don't have a whole lot of literature on that. And the first step is kind of description, right? Um, we're also doing a project on uh, shoulder rotation strength testing positions on the biodex. And this is kind of just one thing that I, uh, that I was wondering about, quite a while ago is that you read, uh, these, there's a ton of literature out there about, uh, internal and external rotation strength in overhead athletes, not only baseball, but volleyball swimmers, um, other overhead athletes, right. Um, not only isometric, but also isokinetic. And mm -hmm. you read several different studies and one study will test in the supine position with the arm abducted. Uh, another study will test in a seated position with the arm at the side. I've seen studies where they test in the scapular plane with the arm abducted, right? And so we don't know how these relate to each other, right? Or at least I haven't found anything yeah, that's interesting. out there that relates to that. And really, so really we're, yeah. we're, so if I, and uh, one of my, one of the co-investigators on the study is a PT, and he says in clinic, we always test in a seated position at the arm at the yep. side. And uh, when we bring participants into the lab, we test them supine uh, with the arm in, uh, abducted 90 degrees. And he was always taught, uh, I'm paraphrasing. So Kevin, if you listen to this, please forgive me again. But he was, I think he said something along the lines of people fail in external rotation a lot easier when your arm's seated at the side. Um, and so 
trying to get just descriptives of how strong people are in different positions, but we're also going to hook them up to uh, service EMG and look at differences in muscle activity as well. That's awesome. It sounds like you guys, uh, I know Auburn's a really well-respected kinesiology program and they have a really strong baseball softball uh, facility down there. So it's cool that you guys, you know, hopefully you guys stay open and everybody stays safe while you guys are transitioning back to research. But uh, Kyle, if you wouldn't mind just talking just a little bit on your like specific dissertation interests and what you, you know, COVID pending and stuff, what you plan on doing for that. Yeah. So my hope is I really want to start getting into these within pitcher analyses. And uh, we know a lot about what happens between, we know a lot about describing between pitchers at game intensity, right? That's what almost all the literature is on. But especially if you're looking at it from injury perspective, uh, you don't throw full out until, you know, six, eight or nine months post-op, for example, if you got Tommy John. Mm -hmm. I I didn't pick up a baseball for six months after Tommy John. So, um, what I want to look at for my dissertation is uh, the energetics of throwing at different throwing intensities, right? So if I bring in pitchers into the lab or just overhand throwers in general, right? Cause it's just a general motor skill. Right. Um, how does the exchange of energy between segments change as I proceed from a mainly arm only low intensity motion to a more full body lower extremity pelvis trunk full effort throw in coordinated throwers right and so i want to bring in people and i want to get them to throw x number of throws at different percentages of rpe and then also correspond those so if i tell someone to throw at 70 percent of their maximum rpe we know that doesn't translate to 75% of their maximum velocity, right? Right. Um, If I tell them to throw at 50% RPE, we know that doesn't translate to 50% of their maximum velocity. And so not only looking at what's happening mechanically, but also trying to give guidelines for um, more objective measures during the throwing rehabilitation process. That's really interesting. That, that's just that's just really cool. I've never really thought about it like that. Like that's you have guys throwing long toss and stuff from 200 feet out and things like that. That's really cool. And that could, that could be really useful for, especially like youth pitchers now, because uh, you know, they're, they put a lot of, a lot of throws on their arm younger and younger. So it'll be yeah. interesting to see what you, what you find there. Kyle, uh, just to kind of wrap things up here as we, as we end the episode here, you know, you've had a lot of different experiences, you know, being a college pitcher yourself, you know, working now in a, in a high-end biomechanics lab and doing some really cool stuff uh, your first couple of years as a PhD student. But for, you know, the practitioner listening, whether that be a clinician who works with overhead athletes or, you know, a coach of a baseball program at the high school level, what's something that, you know, one key takeaway that they can get from, from you and your experiences so far? Yeah, that's a great question. I think kind of the the biggest takeaway that I would I would say is don't be afraid to ask for help, right? Um, try and reach out to the people like you guys, like me, that can help you bridge that gap. Don't try and do it all yourself, right? And know that we're still trying to figure it all out. Right. <laughs> you know, right. it, it, if if we knew that bringing a pitcher into the lab, getting them hooked up, and just looking at their elbow valgus torque was the key to solving injury, we'd have it solved by now. Yeah. And so, 
try and not be a reductionist, try and try and look at the whole picture and realize that what works for someone might not work for someone else, I think. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And it helps to, you know, that whole idea of sports science and always bridging the gap, right? Talk about that. Like, it's just like kinetic change. like a great trigger phrase. Yeah. It's a trigger phrase. It's bridging the gap. But I mean, that's really what it takes. It's just like individuals like ourselves reaching out to practitioners, but it's a two way street. You know, it's the practitioners reaching out to, you know, the researchers and how we can offer our expertise. Kyle, thanks again. We really appreciate, you know, taking your time on, and I think it's a seven o'clock on Friday evening for you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, A little later in the afternoon for us as well over in Vegas, but thanks again for, for joining us today and, you know, stay safe. And as you guys go back into research and we're excited to hear from you, we'll always, we like to, you know, keep up with our guests and I'm sure we'll have you back on at some point to, to get you on here and baseball Twitter will be, uh, will be even more years listening. (laughs) Oh yeah. No problem. Thanks for having me guys. I'll, I'll come back anytime. Awesome. So Kyle, before one last thing before you go, where can, uh, if people want to reach out for you, like whether social media, what's some things, how can they, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah. So I'm definitely most active on Twitter. Uh, it's at KWW underscore AU. Um, but you can all obviously also email me, um, KWW 0009 at auburn.edu. Um, if you're listening to this, you know, five years in the future, my Auburn email probably isn't good. Anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, mainly Twitter or email are the best ways to get a hold of me. So. Perfect. Yeah. And we'll, we'll link that for everyone. So uh, thanks again, Kyle. Take care. Yeah, you too.